Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good afternoon, this is Dr Ruth Glynn Arin and I am bringing you a very delayed Series 3 of Play to Pod. The episode that I'm about to share with you was actually recorded in May and there's a whole spiel about me apologising for the delay with that as well. So it's been a very, very long time in the making this series due to lots and lots of different reasons. Um, But we have expanded and London now has two Play to Talk nurseries and therapy centre. We have one Play to Talk nursery in Pimlico in a new location from our original one. We're now at 55 Morton Street, which is a beautiful spot in Pimlico. Lovely community around there as well and some amazing little businesses that we like to share the street with and a coffee shop and bakery and pizza express it's all very exciting and we are also in Kent House in Knightsbridge that's been a new opening for us in September and that is a lovely um, location in a basement of a big old stately home called Kent House and um, we're just across the road from Hyde Park so it's been a really exciting time for us but we haven't had time to podcast so hopefully this episode will come to you on time now um on the 23rd of november 2023 a few months after it was first recorded and a good few months nearly a year after it was planned i hope you enjoy it and looking forward to speaking to you again soon we're planning on having at least one play to pod podcast per month now um so we will keep you updated about the next episode which will be airing in december um until then keep listening and have a great day from a kind of grey and dismal London. We have not had a summer yet in the UK at all, but at least it gives us British people something to talk about. So this series of Play to Pod has been a long time in the making. Various things have got in the way this year since um, we first announced we were going to do Series 3, including COVID twice, change of premises for Blue Sky, and lots of back and forth commercial lease negotiations, which take up hours and hours and hours every day. But we have decided that we are going to launch our Series 3 now at this moment in time, precisely on the 22nd of May, 2023. That's when we're recording this. And we are going to start off talking about play. And actually, this whole series is going to be based around the theme of play because that's what we're about, a play to talk. So one of the most frequent and most important questions we get asked by clients and other professionals is how do I play with my child? How do I play with this child? We understand it can be really tricky for adults to feel confident to play because I guess as we grow up, we lose all of our imaginary play skills. We lose all of our uninhibited play styles from when we were toddlers. And it's a skill we've most likely forgotten. So we've grown up and moved away from the simple fun we had in childhood. It's really sad, isn't it? But play is a critical part of all childhood learning, whether you have a child who's neurotypical or a child that's neurodiverse. There's always this critical part of their learning is is just play. That's what it is. So if we're going to help children learn to develop their speech and other skills, we need to try and remember how to play. So why is play such a critical part of early childhood development? And why is it such a key experience for children who are experiencing delays? There's a lot of science behind play. 
But Piaget, for instance, he describes play as the work of the child. It's the way that children explore the world around them and how their early brains develop. The TV presenter, Fred Rogers, summed it up too when he said play is often talked about as if it were a relief from serious learning. But for children, play is serious learning. Play really is the work of childhood. It's always seen as something separate from everyday life play. People research it, people talk about it. We run a nursery and we follow the EYFS curriculum here in the UK and there's a lot of focus on what play is and what it should look like and how children should play and what kind of experiences should be set up to make sure the play is appropriate and developmentally appropriate and reference to age and stage. It's seen that plays, it's not just a natural occurring thing, but routines need to be stopped or interrupted so we can have allocated time to play. Let's spin this on its head a little bit because play is everything for a young child. It is all they do from waking up in the morning to going to bed at night. Play is life and life is play. If you're a toddler, that's what life is all about. If you're a child, that's what life is all about. What does that mean for a child who's going to maybe experience the world a little differently, like a neurodiverse little person? What about the child who's engaging in rigid and repetitive activities? Quite often that's seen as something that we shouldn't encourage and we should try and move the child away from that and, and make them flexible and create this flexibility. And actually, is that is that the right thing to do? What about the child who doesn't speak? How can we know and understand how they are playing? And a lot of people that we see at the beginning of our assessments with them, parents, carers and other professionals will say this child doesn't play. They just don't play. And actually, when we observe that child for a short time, they're playing. They're just doing it in a different way. And there's nothing wrong with that. We see a lot of children who might be labelled by health or education professionals as being delayed in their play development or defined as not having appropriate play skills. They're spinning everything, they're lining things up, they're turning the toys over and playing with the wheels. However, we'd argue that every child that we see is already playing. They're exploring the world and problem solving and learning about things that interest them. Their interests might be just slightly different from a neurotypical child. They may just look like they're doing the playing in a different way. It doesn't mean they don't know how to play. Going back to our blog post that we did a while ago, Making Sense of the Sensory, which is at our playtotalk.co.uk website. As we know from looking at children's sensory preferences, and it's the, the foundation of what we're doing at Play to Talk, we're always, when we first meet a child, assessing their motivation, and the motivation is always going to be their sensory preferences. We often see young children have specific sensory needs or interests, and this informs their play. Understanding these differences and preferences is crucial for any adult who's trying to use our kind of approach play to talk or naturalistic developmental behavioural interventions in their actions and interactions. And for anyone that works with young children with developmental differences, you have to understand the sensory differences and sensory preferences with neurodiverse children. Rather than looking at things from how can we teach this child to play appropriately angle, which is what we see a lot of, we look in detail about how the child already plays and how we can use these individual preferences and motivations to join them in their play. There is never a wrong way to play and it's important to keep this at the forefront of any interaction with young children, particularly those who are experiencing the world in a different way. In Play to Talk, we ask parents and carers and other adults to observe their children in their own preferred activities to try and understand a little bit about which sensory area that child might find motivating and which sensory inputs they might find upsetting or overwhelming so we want to avoid those initially. Once we have this foundational understanding in place, we can work with the child to develop activities and play that engages them. We then move quickly towards creating these experiences, two-person shared control activities. That's when we're looking at the adult being a key part of that play, 
whether they're enhancing that play and that experience and making it even more fun and exciting for that child that's looking for that sensory feedback, like splashing in a water tray or pouring water. Adults can probably do that in a more effective way than the child. So that adult then becomes a key player in that two-person activity. Or putting balls down a ball track, the adult might be able to put them down much faster and that visual stimulus, that visual feedback is a lot more exciting for the child. Or we look at shared control where we are maybe interrupting that play and that child needs to kind of look at the adult as being a key partner in their play. We might stop the activity, prompt the child to show us that they want us to continue, whether it's verbal or gesture. Um, and then we continue to play. Bubbles is a good example of that. A lot of children that have visual preferences enjoy bubbles and quite often most toddlers can't blow bubbles although we do find some that can pretty effectively um they can't open the bubble tube you know so there's always that idea that the adult is going to be a key part of that activity so it's trying to find activities that the child is enjoying and looking for and seeking out related to their sensory preferences and then how do we get the adult to be involved in this how do we get the adult to be a key player in that situation how do we make it so that the child is super motivated to want the adult to help them with their play that they're enjoying um so it's really really important to observe first to try and assess sensory preferences and then look at the activities the child is already doing and then how do we enhance them and on the other side of that as well to extend that further it's looking at those sensory preferences and then trying to make a list of toys and activities that meet that need and that motivate that particular sensory preference so visual stimulus a lot of children like visual feedback so like i said ball tracks car tracks spinning toys bubbles balloons that fly around um even drawing on a on a um etch a sketch that disappears or felt hips or on, a, on, a, on an easel. That visual feedback zigzags and lines and circles can be really, really great for children that are looking for visual feedback. People, uh, children that are looking for movement feedback, kind of proprioception, vestibular input, may enjoy swings or slides or big physical play. We've got lots of physical play activities and toys in our centres and they are quite often, well, sometimes some children can use them on their own because they're really, really good problem solvers. But the majority of those activities lend themselves to an adult, a second person being part of that, like swinging, pushing on the swing, helping the child up the slide, wobbling in the wobble bucket, spinning the wobble bucket round. We've got some really great physical play activities which lend themselves to that preference for movement. And some children may like tactile inputs. We've got Play-Doh and sand and jelly bath and cornflower and water all of those things are really great for children that love tactile feedback and often the adult can pour it or scoop it in a more effective way than the child and that is where that adult then becomes a really key player in that situation and we might discover that children like other things there might be other more unique preferences so as this is the first episode of play to build series three we want this to be more of a focus on practical strategies for parents and carers and other professionals that are working with neurodiverse children in the early years. Um, so we've talked about what we feel is important in terms of play, what that means, how it looks, how we need to move away from that developmental trajectory and the words like appropriate play or developmentally appropriate play or not playing properly, like all of these phrases that are used to describe the children that we're working with by 
other professionals and sometimes parents and carers because that's what they've been told we need to come away from that and we need to look at the practical hands-on strategies that we can use as adults to look at using the power of play to support children learn new skills and especially speech so the way that we work as I've said before the first thing that we do the first thing we advise anybody to do would be to observe their child's and to look at their child's activities and whatever they're doing in their day, in that moment, as play. That's what this is, it's play. And we need to look at that play and try and identify which sensory preferences that child has and what is it they're looking at getting out of those experiences from a sensory point of view. So we talked about the visual system. Some children are really seeking of visual input and they may spin. They may spin toys, they might line things up, um, they might draw lines, they might do things that are very visually motivating. Um, They may be looking for that feedback, they might put their eyes to kind of the the side and, and spin around that way looking at things from the side. That is a child that's looking for visual feedback. So when we've identified that that child is looking for visual feedback, we then need to think about what activities they already do that we can get involved with and what activities we can then add into their play repertoire to enhance that experience and to make the back and forth communication and that back and forth play with an adult motivating. So for example, like we said before, having a bank of visual activities, visually stimulating activities can be a really good start to supporting a child to want to engage. The engagement part is really important. So they may be doing lots of play on their own. A lot of the children that we see they're doing a lot of solitary play. So they're maybe not seeking out adult company or adult support or adult help. They're not looking for their parent or carer to play with them. They're maybe just engaging in something on their own. So we need to think about, well, what are those activities giving that child? What is it they're motivated by? And how can we as adults make ourselves super motivating in that situation? So it might be that we said before about bubbles and and balloons and spinny toys. If we can find things that the child can't do on their own, and things that we can do for them and pouring water as well we love pouring water and playing with water and that actually can be super motivating for a child with visual preferences because they can look at the water falling and that's really really motivating for them that's giving them that sensory feedback so cups that have holes in them the stacking cups they often have holes in them they're really really good for water play and an adult like I said is trying to make ourselves useful to that child and there being a purpose for us to play with them so we can quite often pour or scoop water in a more effective way than a child so they're going to want to ask us to do that they're going to want to get that feedback so that's kind of our visual sensory preference and and ball tracks and car tracks and anything that kind of moves in a linear fashion can be really motivating for children that have a sensory preference for the visual feedback. Um, Some children have movement seeking kind of activities that they are engaging in and they're movement seekers and they're looking at trying to find where their body is in space because maybe they're very undersensitive to that particular feedback in their body they struggle with that they struggle to know where their body is in space so they're looking for that feedback all the time and they're moving they may be crashing into things they may be squeezing themselves into small places small spaces um those children are looking for that proprioceptive feedback and that's important when we're looking at what we can do to help engage them with us and make it a two-person play activity we need to think about all of the many movement games that there are where we can 
facilitate that child getting their proprioceptive feedback. So that might be that we are giving them squeezes and that's a really good way to have that engagement with a child where we're squeezing their hands, squeezing their arms, giving them big bear hugs. We can pair that up with the word squeeze and a lot of children find that quite easy to say. We're also thinking about movement games, so chasing games, tickling games, running games, or maybe games with a big gimbal. So children that have proprioceptive seeking preferences, they quite often like to bounce on a gimbal or roll over a ball or roll over a peanut ball. That can be quite a good back and forth activity. And some children quite like to be squashed by the big ball. Um, so they can lie on the floor and you can squash them with the gimbal or squash them with a cushion, make that back and forth game. So we would say the word, we'd say the word squash, we'd give them a few goes for free and then we'd hold back with a cushion up in the air and say squash and look for the child to give us an indication they want us to do that again. Or the same with squeeze, we'd maybe squeeze their hands and their arms and then we'd put our hands out to show that we would do it again for them and we would say the word squeeze and wait for them to make an indication that they want us to continue with that game. So we'd say squeeze, we wouldn't use a lot of language at that point either so it's important to be in the moment of that play activity and not use too much language especially for a child that isn't speaking yet you really just need to use that one word up rule where you really just use a single word to start off with and have that word as a functional word you don't want a word to be something generic like more or again because a lot of the children that we see that are neurodiverse are very good problem solvers they're very literal thinkers and they will attach that word with 50 or 60 different activities and expect you to know which one they want when they say the word more or again. So we need to actually really be specific with our words using the key noun or the key verb for the action or for that item. For children that are auditory seeking, we spoke briefly about that, that sometimes some children are really responsive to auditory feedback and they're looking for noise and songs and music, but they may have preferences and they may have things that they don't like so we've worked with children who in the past have had a real aversion to some staff members singing because maybe they haven't been quite in the right key that they're used to especially if a child maybe has perfect pitch which happens a lot with neurodiverse children they have really really strong sense of key and and the music that they've heard they want that to be the same each time um so you have to be mindful that some children may like specific songs only on alexa or only with mummy singing them um or only certain songs so having some choice within that as well we make little singing bags and same time we really use pictures or objects of reference we'd have an item or a picture that's attached to the song so the child can make a choice so they might not like row the boat if we start singing it, it's going to make them really upset but if they like twinkle twinkle little star there's a way to choose that so that was something that is quite important to take away from a, you know looking at a child and thinking oh they're auditory kiddos they like that auditory feedback so they may like some auditory feedback but they might not like all of it so it's thinking about the specifics within that and what that individual child's preferences are. For children that enjoy vestibular feedback, again, that's kind of linked in with proprioception and where your body's in space, but a lot of children are quite undersensitive to vestibular input and that is where their balance system is. So they may seek that out more. They might seek out spinning movements. They might seek out spinning their whole body. They might want to be off balance. They might want to be on the swing all the time. They might want to be picked up and carried all the time. They're children who are looking for more vestibular input. Um, so it's trying to think of games and activities. You can pick a child up, you can spin them around. The spinning chair from Ikea, the egg chair from Ikea is an absolute play to talk 
um, legend of a toy. We have had about seven of them over the last 14 years and every single one of them has had some child somewhere having their first word on sitting on that chair and being spun around. Some children who have a vestibular preference like to be in a big swing as well. So we have a big swing in our centre in London. They can't do it on their own. I mean, some of our older kids try and um, push themselves on the swing just in itself, lends itself to an adult being part of that. So some children might also be, they might be looking for tactile input. And that is where messy play can be great. And, um, you know, tickly touch can be great. Um, Maybe cornflower and water, Play-Doh, sand, all of those things can be really effective. Rice can be good, lentils, pasta, depending on what feeling they're looking for. And they can also work for children that like visual stimulus as well because the pouring of those items and the auditory side of things for the noise that they make all of these kind of messy play type activities and and resources can be super effective for lots of different preferences so we hope this episode has been really really useful for you in thinking about the practical ways that we can assess a child's motivation from a sensory perspective and how we can then get involved in the play that's already happening. So not looking at how we can encourage a child to play appropriately. We're not looking at that with a neurodiverse client group. We're looking at how we can get involved in the play that is already taking place and how we can enhance that play so that the child that we're working with is less motivated to want to play on their own and more motivated to want to involve an adult within that play. So looking at those sensory preferences are really, really important and looking at the ways in which we can then build on the play that's happening already and enhance that play and maybe add some extra activities that might really motivate that child to want to engage and then hopefully communicate with the adults around them. That's super important. And in our playtotalk.co.uk courses, the the Play to Talk website has several courses on there for parents and professionals in uh, in this field. And there is a huge focus in those courses on how to assess sensory preferences at the very beginning. So you are able to observe your child or the child you're working with and look at which of the sensory areas they're super motivated by. I mean, it might be all the sensory areas. Some children are really sensory seeking in all the different areas. And some children might be a little bit avoidant and apprehensive about certain sensory inputs. So we need to be really mindful of that when working with the neurodiverse community, that we don't force our way of playing onto a child who may find that really upsetting. So we need to really look at what their individual motivations are, what their individual preferences are, and go from there. And when we're looking at using words to try and encourage communication, we need those words to be functional. And we'll talk more about this in further podcast episodes, but really looking at the functionality of what you're saying to that child and making sure you're not overwhelming them with too much language at that point in time. For children that only have maybe no words or they have single words, you really just want to use one word up rule. So you really just want to use a single word to start off with, with most children that are pre-verbal so that they start to attach that word with that activity. And we also we work with quite a lot of families that are bilingual and trilingual. And it's also important to acknowledge that it doesn't matter what language we're using as long as we're consistent. So we have a huge range of really random words in a range of different languages that we probably couldn't go to any other country and communicate effectively with anybody because they are very much play based words. But we learn those words for a specific child when we start to work with them. So if we need to learn the Arabic for spin or Hindi for splash or Spanish for turn or Gaelic for balloon, we'll do that. 
and that then attaches that word with that activity for that child and it isn't a huge issue to use two different languages or three different languages as long as you're consistent to start off with and we'll talk more about that in the future but it was just an aside that I wanted to put in there because we do work with a lot of families that use multiple languages at home and using multiple languages doesn't affect a child's speech as long as you're playing in a way that the child is motivated by and you're using the functional word in whatever language that's why we try and be consistent and learn other languages so that we're not swapping to English all the time and that we're using the word that the child would use at home so we maybe have a bank of 10 words to start off with and three maybe in English and seven maybe in home language so it's really important to kind of have that as a as a bit of an aside there to to acknowledge the fact that being bilingual or trilingual is is super important and should be uh honored and and used within play play and play skills are really something that we as adults are guilty of overcomplicating and overthinking but by its very nature Play is all about having fun and for no other purpose than to enjoy it. If we take the lead from the children that we're working with and look at their individual motivation, we can't go far wrong. Neurodiversity means that your brain works in a slightly different way and you see the world differently. So therefore your play activities and experiences are going to be slightly different from what may be age appropriate or neurotypical. And we need to think about that. There's no correct way to play. We need to come away from thinking along that linear developmental trajectory for play. Instead, we simply need to look for the smile and the laughter and meet our children where they are. They can teach us so much. So get down on the floor, crawl around, chase and be chased, fill in empty buckets and boxes, blow bubbles, sing songs, spin and jump, flap, whoop, stand on your head, smile with your child and laugh. This is play. So if you think that we could help you, then check us out on www.playtotalk.co.uk and also on www.blueskyautism.com. And if you want to know more about our nursery, then we have another website for you, www.playtotalknursery.co.uk. Go out.